Welcome to the Calvary Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Episcopal Church recorded live in Memphis. The Calvary Podcast is weekly sermons, but also conversations, reflections, and provocations about the mystery of God and what it means to be human in the world in need of repair. There's an old rabbi with the fabulous name of Bin Bag Bag who offers this advice on reading scripture. Turn it and turn it again, for all is in it. See through it. Grow old and worn in it. Do not budge from it, for there is nothing that works better than it. I came across this quote in our little group study of a book on Midrash. Midrash, you've heard me explain many times now, is that rabbinical practice of reading between the lines in scripture. A good Midrash fills out the story, right? It smooths transitions, makes connections to other pieces of scripture. It explains some of the inherently confusing passages in the Bible. These readings are sort of like putting flesh onto a skeleton. Each one renders an entirely different and unique being, even the commentary on the same exact passage. Different things. In Judaism, the words of the Torah were given by God, and then it was the work of God's people to interpret it, to turn it over and over again, to see what came to the surface every time you did. Ben Bag Bag said everything in the world was contained in Torah. But if you were raised, say, on a sola scriptura sort of Protestantism, or if you've just never been encouraged to treat the Bible with imagination, Midrash can feel like a sort of queasy undertaking. There is just no doubt, as you're reading this, that you are reading meanings into the text that weren't on the surface. Midrash, of course, claims that all the meanings are there, and they were written there from the beginning, just waiting to be discovered by you. But Christianity tamped down on what we might call our own sort of Midrash, for lots of reasons. One, that we became the religion of the empire, we codified our texts and proclaimed canon and developed dogma and closed it. By the time of the Reformation, filling between the lines of the text would be about as popular as, you know, the Pope, if you're a Protestant. But you read the stories of Mary in the Bible, and it's like it is begging you to engage your imagination. This woman birthed God into the world. And this Sunday features one of only just a handful of mentions of her in the Bible. It's not small or an unimportant mention. It's just she's a minor character in terms of airtime in the New Testament. As understated and mythical as Eve, her archetypal counterpoint in the saga of salvation. We actually have very different interpretations of the person of Mary, even within scripture itself, as little as she is mentioned. Matthew's account, for instance, 
of the conception of Jesus leaves Mary's voice out entirely. All of the communication comes from the angel to Joseph's main, or to uh, Matthew's main man, Joseph, right? The adoptive father. If you've ever wanted to read a story about an unplanned pregnancy without the consideration of the woman who became pregnant, well, look no further than Matthew. Also, who are you who wants that? Luke, objectively the best gospel, gives us the story we have today, along with Mary's journey to Elizabeth and then the Magnificat, which we heard sung, Mary's song of revolution. So which is she, the silent vessel or the bold revolutionary? Before the new revised standard Christianity was set forth, the tradition around Mary caught fire and ran. Silent vessel, they said no. Early accounts that didn't make it into the canon uh, include tales of Mary's own miraculous birth to elderly parents who promised to dedicate their baby to the temple, even if it were a girl. Baby Mary can walk by the age of six months, clearly remarkable. At the age of three, she's taken to the temple. She's set upon the steps of the temple, and there what happens is that her feet suddenly compel her to dance. The joy and wonder of the moment takes hold. The Holy Spirit, she can't keep it in. All of Israel sees her and falls in love with her, the source says. The tradition said that she was taken into the Holy of Holies and grew up there, fed by the hand of an angel. Mary performs miracles in these apocryphal accounts. And in some stories, all it takes is for Mary to walk by and feel pity for someone, for their evil spirits to be driven out. Some stories relate how Mary gave birth with the strength of a man, not requiring a midwife, and that the caves where Jesus was born shone with light. In a really bizarre source called the Odes of Solomon, the Holy Spirit milks God's breasts and mixes it with the milk of Mary's bosom. And some of these best early stories about Mary sadly cannot even be told from the pulpit. They are that racy. You'll have to do homework. Turn it and turn it again. See what rises to the top. And it's wild, actually, how these tales of Mary do turn. The early church fathers writing soon after or sort of in, in conjunction with these apocryphal accounts become hyper-focused on Mary's virginity. Of course they do. They are monastics. <laughs> they sit and spend countless pages arguing for her sinlessness on account of her virginity, as if sex is the ultimate act of the defilement of humanity. They have just enough, these early church fathers, of the platonic horror at the foul, decaying, hairy, excreting, fragile human body that you can see how much it unnerves them to proclaim that that same body will be redeemed. Remarkable that they do. And I think all these ways of seeing Mary 
might be pinpointing what we are, maybe as modern readers, afraid of in the act of Midrash. What if what we find is only what we want to find? What if this act means the page is actually a mirror and we see only what we bring to the text? To which the answer is, yes, you will find that. If you're honest with yourself, you'll probably find that first. There's always some aspect of one's initial approach to God that is childlike. I don't mean just in innocence, but also unpostured, self-focused, needy. This isn't wrong. But it won't be long in this pursuit, if you take it seriously, before you start talking about what you find with your neighbor, who will have a very different opinion. And if you live in right enough relationship with those neighbors, you might find that they're good company to talk to about it. You'll find more meaning the more you explore the most basic subjects of the Christian life inexhaustible. Turn it. Turn it again. And as you do that, you'll find these words getting into you, entering your prayers. You'll learn to see through it, as old Ben Bag Bag said. You'll find that it isn't a mirror, but the very thing that lets you set down the mirror of tyrannical self-obsession. You will still ask for what you need, but you'll begin to echo Mary's words, probably, the one she said today. Let it be done to me according to your will. You can see where Jesus got it, teaching us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. You can see whose words he held in his darkest hour, sweating blood in the garden, begging for the cup to be taken from him. Not my will, but yours be done. It's a hard prayer, worthy of everything from the miracle of birth to the very valley of death. Who knows what you'll begin seeing through it? If you're curious about Calvary Episcopal Church, we are an eclectic bunch of Christian people who don't all think the same thoughts or dress the same way or vote for the same candidates or even believe all the same things about the mystery of God and what it means to be human. But we do believe that we need each other because of our differences, not in spite of them, and that God calls us into unity, not uniformity. Subscribe to the Calvary Podcast at calvarymemphis.org podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Calvary in person at the corner of 2nd and Adams in the heart of downtown Memphis, Tennessee.